0: What's up, everyone? This week we decided to do something a bit crazy and record our podcast live on YouTube. So if this episode is something that you really enjoyed when we got questions from the audience in real time, we'd love to do this again. So without Freddie ado, here's the episode, and thanks so much for listening. So what's up, everyone? This is Jake and Tom from Yanks Go Talking on the FIFA America channel on YouTube. Today, we're going to break down and react to the Haiti versus U.S. Men's National Team game and just give our thoughts on the lineup, the players that were selected, Greg's performance, and some of the things that stood out to us in the game. If you're here for the first time, this is a podcast that we release weekly on Tuesdays and Wednesdays every week. Um, we are soccer lovers, soccer nerds of the U.S. National Team and MLS and any of our Yanks abroad. So if you are here right now, we are doing our first live recording on YouTube. If you're here, give a like, shout us out. Um, But we're excited to get started. Tom, how are you doing?
1: Doing great. How are you doing, Jake? It's been a while.
0: Yeah, doing well. Yeah, we missed the July 4th week. Um, We're going to have some more guests coming up for you guys. But with the Gold Cup, there's just a lot to break down and talk about with these games. So it's better to just jump right into it, right?
1: Oh, yeah, let's get in.
0: (laughs) So, obviously, there was a a game last night, the first Gold Cup group game for the U.S. versus Haiti. The U.S. won won 1-0. Quite a a lackluster performance from the team. And not just the performance of the players, but some of the selections and choices that Greg made as the coach are definitely questionable and something that we're going to get into. But... What are your overall thoughts of last night's game, Tom?
1: I don't know. It's hard to react. I've been seeing a lot of outrage on Twitter, and I feel like that's the wrong reaction. I I just, I can't see myself getting upset over anything that happens in this tournament. It's not that kind of tournament. All of our best players are on a beach somewhere hanging out or in preseason somewhere in Europe. So we're just looking at this as a developmental tournament. And last night we saw a developmental squad grind out a result in conquer calf, which is good enough for me. It's not great. There's still a lot to go into a lot to break down, but overall we got the job done. We got the three points.
0: Definitely. It's really tough because on a lot of these pieces, I feel at completely opposite ends of the spectrum, right? We got the win. We have three points. It basically guarantees us going into the next round I mean, we're we're going to beat Martinique, and then we'll see what happens against Canada. But getting this win against Haiti was the most important thing that we needed to do to get to the knockout stages. And at the same time, just the way we went about it, the really negative play um, after the first 15 minutes, there wasn't a lot to be happy about. And I think the first 15 minutes was probably more to do with how poorly Haiti was set up and how disorganized they were. And how well we were playing. So I think they kind of gifted us that goal in the, yeah. the eighth minute from Sam Vines. And then from there, we we kind of fell apart as the game went on.
1: Yeah, I would agree. It was not well played. It was very disorganized. A lot of playing safe, playing not to lose. And mm-hmm. you would hope against Katie, you, Haiti, you could take the game to them just a little bit more than that.
0: Definitely. And we saw how something like that can bite you in the in the butt a bit with England. I mean, save two of their subs until the penalty kicks. We're not going to touch too much on the errors in this episode. But essentially, you're playing to to tie. You're playing to not lose the game. And that really just, for me at least, my perspective is that almost always works out worse in the end than if you're playing to win.
1: Oh, yeah, 100%. You go out in the game game. Like playing not to lose usually comes back to bite you. There are teams who can do it and have done it successfully, but in general, like going out and getting a second goal once you've got the first is a much better strategy than just packing 10 guys behind the ball and passing it around the back.
0: Definitely. So we have a a comment from Preston. One of the, the, day one viewers of, of FIFA America and Yanks are talking. He said, we were timid for the first 70 minutes, but looked better after a few substitutions. So Preston, we're definitely going to get into the subs here a bit. And what the last 20 minutes looked like, it seems like a formation change to a three at the back. Um, we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. So why don't we start with our stars and strikes of the game? So this is where me and Tom talk about our three stars And some of the strikes, some of the things that we would just strike out and forget happened. Uh, Let's start with the stars. Who are your stars of the game, Tom?
1: So I'm going to go give one star to Kellen Acosta. I thought that he was the engine of the midfield for the majority of the first part of the game. I really liked his defensive work rate. He got back. He contributed in defense where he needed to. He also hit some great diagonal balls. His passing is underrated for a U.S. midfielder. I just like his steady runs in the midfield. I'd be willing to be persuaded about on this. I think that both Sebastian Legette and Walker Zimmerman were also good and could have easily been slotted into this one-star spot. But given Kellen Acosta's current role, it's just nice to see him perform well. I'm going to give two stars to Gyasi Zardes. Zardes, despite what you might hear from a lot of U.S. fans, had a good game last night. I thought his hold-up play was great. He dropped in. He Combined well with other players, he got forward and got a great assist. The touch on that assist was sublime. I really enjoyed watching that play develop. And then we're going to go Shaq Moore as my player of the match, getting three stars. He was great on the right wing, a really surprise inclusion and surprise standout player. He's got probably the best cross in the pool. And it showed last night. He just kept whipping in dangerous balls, getting up the flank. Honestly, probably one of the most confident players on either side of the ball.
0: Yeah. And I don't know if you noticed that every time Sam Vines crossed the ball, it was a low cross and it was, it was somewhat hopeful into the box. Mm. Whereas Shaq yeah. Moore really mixed it up and it it was to a person, whether it was yeah. to their feet or to their head. Um, Ken P asked, can you reintroduce your guest speaker Ken, this is not a guest speaker. This is the co-host to our podcast, Yanks Go Talking. Um, But for the people at home that are maybe watching the YouTube channel and not listening to the podcast, Tom, do you want to just introduce yourself quickly and let the people know who you are?
1: Yeah, my name is Thomas Godden. I am a graduate student out here in New Mexico. I study astrophysics, but I'm a huge soccer fan, have been for over a decade now, Um, been a member of Several American Outlaws chapters, been a member of several MLS, US USL and NISA supporter sections. And get into my first podcast hosting duty here with Jake.
0: Yep. Awesome. We're we're nothing special, guys. We're just two people that really love the game and want to talk about US soccer and MLS. Um, so KCV said more was good, but we need to see him against better quality opponents. I definitely agree with that, but you can only play against the team that you're you're up against. You can only play against mm-hmm. the other eleven players on the field. And last night, Shaq Moore showed um, you know it, it's an interesting point to me. I don't know if we want to get into this now or or a bit later on, but every other person on the field was u s based or MLs based. And the only reason Shaq Moore started was because Reggie Cannon got injured. Mm-hmm. even for me, Reggie Cannon, right, he's playing in Portugal at Boa Vista. But even for me, he's kind of a, a product of MLS. Mm-hmm. Shaq Moore was hungry last night. Shaq Moore showed some real skill and composure on the ball that wasn't evident for the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. And one, one point that I really want to make is that we can talk all we want about how Jackson Ewell isn't good enough, about um, Jonathan Lewis isn't good enough. He, he had a terrible game last night but none of those players are in danger of not playing again. Jackson Ewell, if he doesn't perform at San Jose, he's not going to get benched. He's going to get traded to another MLS team and have a mediocre career where he plays 90 minutes every game. Do you know what happens to Shaq Moore if he doesn't perform every game?
1: He gets dropped to the fourth division. (laughs) Yeah. He goes to another team in a worse league and gets paid a lot less money.
0: Exactly. So, why do why do we talk about our Euro players and why do we want players to go to Europe? Because there is an inherent pressure that MLS just doesn't give you. If Christian Pulisic isn't performing and um, Callum Hudson-Odoi or Z- Ziyech is performing better, Christian Pulisic isn't going to play. So what does that give you as a player? It's constant motivation that you need to be improving. And that's something that Shaq Moore brought to the game last night that nobody else was really bringing. Um, yeah. So I do agree with your stars. I thought Walker Zimmerman was another good player. Uh, Miles Robinson, not great in the game, but definitely showed why he has the foundation and all the tools to maybe be the fourth or fifth center back in the depth chart.
1: I thought he grew into the game. I I think he definitely struggled. I think that's a product of the fact that he never plays for the national team because he plays in Atlanta and Atlanta has such a bad relationship with the national team. But as the game went on, I found myself more and more impressed with him.
0: Definitely. So before Preston left, he said some bad performances were Jackson Ewell and Jonathan Lewis. They were out of their depth. So we talked about our stars. There's very few of them from last night. What about the strikes? Who, Who are you striking off? What what kind of tactical pieces, formation pieces, are you striking off from last night?
1: I I think that the very obvious two are yes, Jackson Ewell, Jonathan Lewis. I'm gonna go just the starting eleven in general, though. I I've never seen a super overwhelmingly like negative reaction to a starting eleven like we saw last night. Just every single person, including like some very well respected like U.S. journalists who are normally pretty positive, were pretty shocked at the lineup that greg chose i i don't quite know what he was thinking a lot of really good prospects were left on the bench it was it was just strange all around i would like to see a better starting 11 than what we saw last night
0: yeah it, if you've listened to any of our other podcasts or watched the channel at all you will know that in general we're quite positive about the players about the program giving the coaching staff a chance and honestly, I just need to say like I am genuinely appalled at the starting lineup last night. The yeah. fact that Jonathan Lewis was in the starting lineup. Like I will I will raise my hand and call myself out. Before the tournament started, I said, "Okay, it sucks that he's on the roster, but it's not his fault. He's he likes to shoot, he's not afraid to shoot, he's fast." Maybe he's there to play a part in a game when we're losing or need a goal and, and be a super sub for 10 minutes. He starts the first game against Haiti. The it's, must win game. It's almost unacceptable. Yeah, a must-win yeah. game. Um yeah. and and we we say like right, our Euro players are in their preseason, so they weren't available. But Cade Cowell, Caden Clark, Georgie Mahalovich, all of them are playing domestically better options, and we're available. Uh, well, you can say the appendicitis I, for Caden Clark, yeah. but I know for a fact that he's he is available.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would like to see Jordy Mihailovic. He's had a great season. There are other domestic wingers too. Chris Mueller's not on the roster. He can play both wings. I know Orlando really didn't want to lose their entire roster, but we kind of need wings to make the Burhalter ball system work. And yeah. Jonathan Lewis is so far down on the winger depth chart that it's just not even funny.
0: Yeah. Like completely out of his depth. Just every time he got the ball, he he lost possession or or did something very negative. So um, Ken P asked any starting 11 surprise. And how many years have you been following the U.S. men's national team?
1: (laughs) Ken, that's a great question. I actually have been following the U.S. since the 2010 World Cup. I was in high school during that World Cup, and sort of the Land and Donovan goal was sort of my starting point of getting really involved with it. I joined AO shortly after that, and have been really involved ever since. Um, my biggest starting eleven surprise has to be Jonathan Lewis, and probably Giassi Zardes. I really expected Daryl Dike to get the start. I, I like Jossi Zardes. I am officially. I'll come out and say I, I think Zardes is a great player. I expected him to alternate with Daryl DK and DK since he was with the Nations League team to get the start. So that was a pretty big shock to me.
0: Yep, and even for DK, do you think that was more of a fitness thing, or we just started Jossi Zardes because Greg rates him more?
1: So the way that I'm looking at this tournament is that this is a show me you belong tournament. So all of these young prospects that we brought on the roster, they were essentially told, okay, these are the guys I've seen in a bunch of camps. Here's who I'm really familiar with. You are going to have to come in and show me that you deserve a spot above them. And so far, I'm not sure anyone has done that, with the possible exception of Gianluca Busio. Yep. Um, yeah, right now we're, we're seeing the vets get the starts, and if we see people place them, we know that they're outperforming them.
0: I do want to focus on that for a second. And I know we were talking during the pre-show, so I'm sorry that you're hearing this for a second time so soon. But the most frustrating thing for me last night is that this tournament, like you said, is to find players that will make an impact for our World Cup qualifying team to be the players that are, you know, 23 to 30 on the roster, because we are going to need the full roster for, for these more condensed game schedules And then he goes out and plays a starting 11 of players where we already know who they are and what they're about. There was no players that started, other than players that started because of injuries, to see what they could do for the international team. And to think that this is the tournament where we can see players like that, um, the Daryl D.K.'s, the Shaq Moores, the George Bellows, even James Sands, like, Gianluca Busio, all of the, basically our entire bench are people that we need to see in action against CONCACAF opponents before the World Cup qualifying starts. And then he started in 11 where we know all of those players and what they can do. And that to me was just, I mean, lots of things that I'm upset about and kind of feel are unacceptable to the federation and to the coaching staff. But that to me is, is up there.
1: Yeah, it really does feel like a missed opportunity. And you don't get many opportunities, especially with this crazy international schedule we're on. So this isn't a friendly. We've got to see these guys in competitive matches. World Cup qualifying is rapidly approaching.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So to to go back on some players that did do well, the state's FC, more and acosta really seem to link play well together. Um we will talk about that when we get to the formation and and the, our other thoughts on the game. But guys, if you haven't checked out the States FC channel, make sure to do that now. He has some great content out there as well. And if you haven't yet, give a like on this video so that more people can see and come in and chat with us. Um, so you you talked about the lineup in general, just being a strike for you, something you you were not impressed with. Was there anything else that was just a complete negative for you for the game?
1: I mean... Not really. I I think that there's a lot of individual performance flaws, but in general, it was it was a Concacaf game. There's not a whole lot. Rate is negative beyond just we can do better with our player selection.
0: For me, I would say a strike if I can is we in in these types of games. Anyone that plays poorly we know played poorly and we know that they deserve to play poorly. Anyone that does well in this game, it's very hard to rate that performance. It's very hard to know if this matters, if this is going to be something that can go on to the next game or, or be against the Canada's and and Mexico's of CONCACAF. To play poorly in this game, though, I definitely think it says something about where you're at technically and with your your capabilities, And for me, Jackson Ewell and Jonathan Lewis, just, again, I I have to keep saying for me, because I don't even know what Greg is thinking at this point. But Mm -hmm. for me, Jackson Ewell and Jonathan Lewis just cemented their place as players that have no bearing. They're nowhere near the top 23 or top 30 players for the U.S. men's national team.
1: Oh, I agree. Well, and. So this is a point that scuffed has been making for a while. If you don't listen to them, they're a great podcast to check out. If you want to learn more about the tactics of the game, but they've been talking about John Jackson Ewell's rule role. He's a deep lying playmaker. He's a regista who likes to pass the ball, make these long field diagonal passes and a game like a Haiti knockout stage or a Honduras semifinal game. We're trolling the ball. We have all the possession. He has time to pick out a great pass. Is the type of game where he's built to succeed. He should look great in these games. And he's just not doing that. He's playing scared. He's not turning into space and hitting these long diagonals. He's taking the ball and cycling it to center backs every single time he touches it. And that's just not acceptable. If you're going to play that register role, someone else can step in and play that role with more aggression and with more precision than Jackson Ewell plays with. And that's just frustrating considering we keep wasting these opportunities on him.
0: And Kellen Acosta kind of played both roles in that game. Yeah, like he did. He, I, I think you put on your Twitter some of the the highlights from Kellen Acosta, but he was hitting diagonal balls with his left and his right to the wingers. Mm-hmm. Like that's usually what we think or what we've said Jackson Ewell is strong in, but mm-hmm. actually last night, Kellen Acosta was kind of doing the work for, for both of them.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and another thing that Jackson Ewell doesn't do well, and this is a complete knock against him, is once our wingbacks get up the field, once Vines and Moore bomb up the field, you got to have someone who's dropping into those spaces. you got to have Yule dropping either to the left or the right of the center backs in order to keep that shape, keep that structure, move into a back three. Otherwise, you're going to get hit hard. And every single time they got forward, every time Haiti created a chance, both vines and more were completely out of position and yule was not dropping in to cover the space
0: yeah absolutely so maybe something that we can talk about that's not quite a star not quite a strike is this comment from fga he's interested in our ratings for legit and vines what did you think
1: i know i think neither of them had the best game ever i mean Vines scored his first goal props to him i didn't think he really looked comfortable i didn't really think that he sort of stood out but he wasn't a liability. He wasn't terrible. He, he did the job. I think LeJet didn't have his best game ever either. I think that's pretty fair to say, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah. I, I thought LeJet, for the most part, was quite invisible.
1: Mm-hmm. And to me,
0: again, kind of unacceptable. Th- mm-hmm. This is the one player... It, it's hard, too, right? Because there's there were a lot of poor performances and LeJet wasn't one of them, per se. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he was so out of the game... For someone that is included in the 23 and starting 11, when all of our best players are available, and captaining the side, that to me is, it, it wasn't a captain's performance. And it wasn't a performance that I would expect from the one player on this roster, maybe barring Kellen Acosta, that would see the field with the first team.
1: Yeah, I agree. I'm starting to wonder if Leggett isn't a player who completely responds to the level of his teammates. Like when we see him play well, it's because he has those really good players around him who are setting him up and he just takes advantage of those opportunities. He bangs home goals. He gets assists when he is the one who's tasked to create the game, create the offense, take the game to the other team. He kind of looks out of his depth. And I think we saw that last night.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What about Sam Vines?
1: Sam Vines. I, I like his ground crosses. I think he's got a pretty good, you know, left footed cross in him, but I don't know. He's, he's not very fast. He's, just an average defender, I, I'm not really sure how much he brings to the setup beyond just being a serviceable MLS player who's not going to lose you a game, but is not going to win you a game. I t- kind of see him as a younger Daniel Lovitz.
0: Which is not a player that you <laughs> like to see. I know that from our previous no. conversations. Yeah,
1: <laughs> no. If you guys know me, I'm not a Daniel Lovitz fan. So that's that's not a great compliment for me.
0: <laughs> for for Sam Vines, though, I, I think in this particular game... He, he played okay, and he played in well enough for me to say he he is good enough to be on the B-side. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I this performance was not something that locked him in, even though he got the goal. I think mm-hmm. George Bellow still has the door wide open to play his way into the left-back position.
1: Yeah, I think that our floor for the left-back position is are you more of a liability than Sergio Dest on the left side of the field? And I'm not sure if I'm if I'm Sam Vines, if I've done enough to say, yes, I did better than a Serginho Dest playing out of position.
0: And Shaq Moore, to be fair, kind of blew the door wide open on the right back position again.
1: I wouldn't say that. There are just so many good right backs. I mean, you've seen, I don't know if you've seen the roster floating around of just an entire 11 of, you know, your Where did it come quality from? right back.
0: Like I three years know. ago, we had no defenders, like yeah. no white wing
1: backs. No, all of a sudden we've got like 11 high quality right backs who could play really well in that role. So as good as Moore was, he's probably still our fourth, fifth best option, depending on how well you rate Brian Reynolds, which is insane. Like our right back position is world class quality and depth almost.
0: That's that's a big. Big uh, ticket for them to to climb and meet the expectations. Mm-hmm. So I do want to. So Ken P asked for our number six has to have ball security as his number one attribute as Adam's backup. If you had to pick someone tomorrow to be Adam's backup for the number six, who is that for you?
1: Kellen Acosta, easily. I am willing to hear an argument for Gianluca Busio. As I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit later on. But for me, Kellen Acosta has done the job, time in and time out for the u.s and i just think it's his position to lose
0: i just need to see more from bucio to be convinced he Ah. he played so well in his time but um Mm -hmm. if he continues with how he played when he was on the field then i think he's pushing acosta a bit Um, i am
1: firmly in uh, in our discord the big u.s soccer discord i'm firmly the voice of reason that the kids are not great and that we're not going to play them immediately, stop overrating them. So I'm always going to err on the side of a veteran deserves minutes as the kids develop a little bit more.
0: Yep. So another question from the, the chat. This is my day one homie, Mason. What's up, Mason? Um, did you see anything from Canada's win that would make you want to change anything in the lineup for a match on Sunday?
1: I didn't get a chance to watch Canada's win. Did you?
0: I watched a bit just on the couch before the, the U S um, replay today. I thought they looked really, really good and really composed for the most part. Um, Martinique actually looked quite dangerous on some of their breaks, and they had some good chances. Uh, probably could have had one or two other goals, but we could also say that about Haiti. It was just the end quality wasn't there. Um, one thing, this is probably a good place to talk about it, and we, we we're we going to get to our formations next. Um, so maybe this is the point to, to talk about what we think our formation should be Going forward, I think there's no question with the Paul Areola injury and Jonathan Lewis being our only winger available that we have to move forward with a three at the back system, whether that's playing a six with two pivots or playing two pivots with a number 10. I think against Martinique, I'd rather have two pivots and a number 10 and playing three, five, two. Against Canada, probably a bit more defensive, and having Acosta play the six or Busio playing the six, so anyone but you'll. Um, but yeah, I do think our our lineup and formation has to change from here, if nothing mm-hmm. for the injury.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I think that against Canada, I'd like to see almost a flat three, just three eights. See how Acosta legit. And Yule can do a Acosta Leget and whoa Buccio. whoa whoa! Sorry, I completely <laughs> misspoke there. Acosta <laughs> Leget Bucio as a triple pivot, where all three can sort of interchange with each other and play whatever role is needed. I, I see that backs and just see what that looks like.
0: Definitely. Um, do you think we we play at three at the back? I think James Sands played really well in the last twenty minutes of this game. I thought we looked completely different for for those minutes. I know there was a scramble at the end for Haiti. But for the most mm-hmm. part, we looked really composed and, and really good with the subs that we had made. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I would credit Greg for that, but it's more like everyone on the bench I would have rather seen on the field. And it was kind of yeah. validation at that point. Um, yeah. But I do think we we played well with the three at the back. James Sands showed really well and showed why he can be more of a passer than maybe Zimmerman or, or Miles Robinson can be. Um, yeah. What do you think we see going into the Martinique game?
1: Yeah, I would like to see three at the back. I think that it suits George Bello. I think that it suits Shaq Moore. I think James Sands played great, and he's clearly a good player at that sort of hybrid six um, center back, like center-center back in a back three role. I would like to see more of that. I also think that both Zimmerman and um, Robinson will both shine in that role. Robinson has looked great whenever Atlanta's played a back three and was almost an MLS best 11 player in the back three last he played there. So – I think it suits our defense well. I also think it's going to give players like Bucio and Acosta and Legette more freedom to just get forward and see what they can do. Main <laughs> motivation to move to a back three, though, is that I've been watching a lot of New Mexico United. They play this 3-5-2 system. Um, sorry for <laughs> biasing myself here, but we don't have wingers at all on this roster, but we have four great strikers. Let's see what Zardes, Gioquina... DK and hop can do when they're playing off each other, two of them out at a time.
0: There's, there's no excuse from now on to not play with two strikers. And the easiest way to fit that into your personnel at this point with only having one winger is three, five, two. Um, I completely agree on your point about James Sands. He's, he's a much better will trap (laughs) in the sense that he, he's very comfortable kind of walking forward and being the, the space between the two center backs and then dropping back in defense to a three at the back. So I definitely think that can work. Um, Farrell is definitely with us. He says in our games against Martinique, we need to test Bello, Hoppy, Busio, DK. What do you think we see in terms of the lineup?
1: I think that we do see those guys get tested. I would be shocked if Darrell DK doesn't start. I would hope that Hopp the chance to start himself. I really like watching him play. A dk Hop par- partnership actually is really interesting because I really think Hop is more of a Timo Werner-esque second striker who plays off a target man really well. So someone like DK who can just hold the ball up and get it to him is something that could really work out well in our favor. I want to see Busio. I want to see him as an 8 and as a 6. If we do that, then I'd like to see that partnership with Legett just to see how it goes.
0: Yeah, and crazy that we didn't see Hoppy at all in this game. Mm -hmm. I I do want to... So again, usually I'm a pragmatist. I'm very optimistic about this team, and it takes a lot for me to be so frustrated and and feeling so negative about this. But
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Matthew Hoppy has had six goals and one assist in 17 games in the Bundesliga. DK had nine goals and 14 games or whatever in Barnsley, like crazy, crazy numbers. Mm-hmm. And then you start Giassi Zardas at striker. That, like that's criminal to me.
1: To be fair, I, I do see the logic behind that just because Zardas is one of the best finishers in MLS. Unfortunately, his form has dipped recently and that's not a reason why we should be playing him. Like he's not playing his best but i'm still not convinced on hop i'm not sure burhalter is either yeah
0: if i can just give a conspiracy theory for a bit if you look at this roster and and who started it's all players that are in the mls now but they're probably not leaving anytime soon either and it just mm-hmm. begs the question for me like gianluca busio is likely on his way to serie a after this tournament mm-hmm. george bello is probably going to be in the MLS for maybe one more year. Probably yeah. not that long. Matthew Hoppy, Giankini, DK is going to be sold after the Gold Cup, most likely. To me, when I look at this lineup and really start to dive deeper, it just feels to me like this was a let's let's use all the players that can show off the talent and ability of MLS. Yeah, and that to me is no reason to pick a lineup.
1: That, and it didn't show MLS very well.
0: <laughs> true, true. And, and I also want to posit, like, one nothing against Haiti in relative terms when Mexico just tied Trinidad and Tobago with their A-team, 0-0. It's, it's really weird to have this feeling where we probably should be happier than we are, and we need to give better credit to our CONCACAF opponents. Like, none of mm-hmm. these games are going to be easy and I know we should walk over Martinique, and they're not a powerhouse. But at the same time, if mm-hmm. we don't win four or five nothing, I I still think that's going to be a good result if we yeah. walk away two nothing, three nothing. We we mm-hmm. can't think that CONCACAF at some point isn't going to catch up to us. Um, and Haiti made it to the semifinal of the Gold Cup in 2019 as well.
1: So but Mexico had extra time.
0: Yeah, no, nothing to sneeze at, but absolutely should have beaten them with the team that we had and the players that we had. But in, in terms of relative happiness, this feels very similar to the position that we were in when we won um, against, I think Honduras before we played Mexico in the nation's league, where Mm -hmm. we won one nothing, but it didn't feel that great. (laughs) It didn't feel good. Um, When the Olympic team won their first game of the Olympic qualifiers, one nothing. And it was kind of like, Yes, we won. We're, we're on to the next round, but I don't feel good about this win. And that's, this is as bad as I can possibly feel after winning a game, I think.
1: The, a great question that I saw on Reddit today when I was sort of looking at match reactions to the game was when did the expectation become, go from, you know, being able to survive these CONCACAFI games in competitive matches to RC team needs to thrash everyone in the region?
0: Yeah. It, it's a valid point. Look, like mm-hmm. we we need to speak on terms that are this isn't going to be an easy game. Our biggest rival with their best team just tied mm-hmm. a very poor team zero zero. And we basically guaranteed our place in the knockout rounds for the gold cup. And at the same time, that doesn't absolve any of the people on this team or the coaching staff from accountability. Oh, yeah. And that's what I want to make very clear for Mm. we are allowed to criticize we are allowed to feel that there should be some type of accountability to the decisions and the performances and at the same time be happy that the u.s has beaten haiti one nothing and is likely kind of convinced i'm convinced that they're going to make it to the next round now
1: yeah yeah i i think that there's there's a fine middle line to walk which is why i'm sort of very ambivalent about the result because you know Haiti's a solid squad. They're a good CONCACAF team. That's not to say they're a world power or anything, but they're a team that can scrap out results in CONCACAF. And that's really, if our MLS players are able to scrape out results against them, then I I we're actually doing okay, not great. We should be able to beat them better with our MLS team. But there's at least a, we are doing the bare minimum of what the U.S. men's national team should be doing.
0: Yeah. And that's where I, should I be asking more of the bare minimum or is it okay to be okay with that because it's our MLS team and because we've won and we'll be on to the next round?
1: I think that it's okay to ask for more. I think that there's enough quality on this roster that we can ask for, you know, a little bit more, maybe one or two more goals. I would say seven, eight, seven points from the group would be great.
0: Yep. This, this is the existential questions that I've been asking myself ever since I, I woke up this morning. Um, mm-hmm. So we have Benjamin saying Zardes is worse than Ricardo Pepe. I disagree, but it's not that far. It's not that Kids far Kids aren't off. that you great.
1: Can, yeah. Kids aren't that great. Give them more time.
0: I, I'm a big fan of consistency. You need to show yeah. it consistently. Pepe has made incredible strides in the last two years. Um, I really didn't think he would be as good as he is now, but he he still has a ways to go. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people also kind of bring Giassi's artist down a, a notch when he is an excellent player, um, gets a lot of stick. His assist last night, do you think that it was, was on quality. purpose?
1: It was quality. It was a great <laughs> touch of the ball. I am convinced it was on purpose.
0: It was an accident. It was <laughs> definitely an accident. He... he has accidental uh, assists. He's scored goals with his face. So it, I think he was the youngest or he had the second least amount of caps to get to double digit goals and assists. And I'm just sitting there thinking half of those were, were mistakes were bad first touches.
1: <laughs> Zardes is Chris Wondolowski with a little bit worse touch.
0: Very true. And don't remind us about Chris Wondolowski's touch against Belgium, or we'll have more flashbacks. Um, FJ agrees with me. MLS lifers hypothesis has merit. Thank you for validating my my conspiracy theories. Um, what if both Canada and the U.S. wrestlers are starters since both are qualified? I think that this was the game that the U.S. came out to win. We're going to experiment with a still very solid team against Martinique expecting to to get three points. And then it's kind of like there's all pressure is off when we play Canada. And I think that's where you'll really see the implementation of the three at the back and some of the more experimental things that maybe the fans would have wanted to see. But Greg just wanted a bit more um, confidence that we can get the three points. But yeah, if we're both on six points, I do think both teams experiment quite a lot. What do you think, Tom?
1: I think so, but there's also a great value in coming in first in this group. If we lose, we could
0: easily play Mexico, Costa Rica, and Jamaica on the other side of the bracket.
1: It's Costa Rica or Jamaica. It's Uh, the winner of that group. Um, But yeah, yeah, it's them and then the Mexico. If Mexico can scrape out a first place result, which is kind of in doubt now
0: i think they're still pretty <laughs> <laughs> i don't know uh, let's i know there are rivals and we don't we don't love them but <laughs> still an excellent team and probably for me the favorites still to to win this yeah. tournament
1: i don't know I've all right potter is my no. there we go uh,
0: we'll see have they played yet
1: no they haven't played i think they played at night okay nice
0: So, yeah, are you going to be watching more of the Gold Cup or just kind of following along with the U.S. and Canada games?
1: I'm going to try and watch as I can. Um, I I don't know how much I'll be able to, but I I want to watch as much as I can just because I love CONCACAF. They don't play tonight. Group D, I guess, plays Tuesday. They'll play Panama at 5 p.m. my time, which is 7 p.m. for most of you East Coasters.
0: Nice. Um, I think the U.S. game on Thursday is at, 10 p.m east coast time oh that's it's at 3 a.m in in the morning here i think that's easier to wake (laughs) up for personally than 2 a.m is (laughs) yeah all right so we've talked about formation we've talked about our stars and strikes of the game we talked about some of the players and greg's decisions anything else that you want to touch on whether it's subs or anything that happened in in your view
1: I think that the last thing we really need to go into is the subs. We had Busio, Sands, Gioacchini, Williamson, and DK come on the field. How would they play? Did any of them earn their spot for the next game? I think is the big question.
0: I think they have to play. They have to start, Mm -hmm. and we Mm -hmm. have to see what they're about. And I I don't know. I don't have full trust in Greg right now that he's even going to give them opportunities. And at the same time, like... I'm probably a hypocrite for saying this a ton, but the coach always sees way more than the fans. The coach is in training. The coach is with the team 24 seven, basically, and he knows way more about what's happening on the team and in the background and with their mindset and where they are personally, physically, all of those things. Yeah. And at the same time, we need to see them on the field or else we'll never know. And that's the whole point of this tournament. We need to know the about the variables and the unknowns on our team.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think that there's an element, especially among us fans of, you know, we see, we see what we've seen. We want to always see the unknown. The unknown is always better than the known. So we get frustrated when we see the known over and over again. But to me, if we're not seeing these guys, either there's something wrong with Berhalter and it's, he's not up for the task or the kids aren't performing and we're overrating them. And I, think the second is almost more likely than the first. Berhalter's, you know, by no means perfect. And I'm not sure I'm terribly thrilled with him as the manager at this point. But I think there's an element of us overrating the kids a little bit.
0: I'm totally fine with that. If he shows us. <laughs>
1: like, <laughs>
0: if if they play and they're bad, then I will happily accept that Giassi Zardes is the way to go. I will happily accept... I will happily accept that Jackson Ewell is our best case scenario to be the third on the depth chart at the six. If Gianluca Busio, if Eric Williamson get chances to show what they're about and play the game. And at this point we don't have that. And we need to see, we need to see that that's what I need to see to kind of get my confidence back up in this coaching team and, and where we're going as a federation.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I don't know. Hopefully we see more of it because, yeah, if we don't see these guys, we can never judge for ourselves. And it's just going to be rampant speculation and make all this toxic discussion just get worse. And I don't want to see that happen.
0: That's funny because I feel like we're we're having, like, the least toxic of all the discussions that I've seen. And it's like (laughs) we're being pretty negative.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and another piece to this that doesn't get mentioned enough is We don't have a youth national program right now. A lot of this would be alleviated if we're seeing these guys at the youth level, but we haven't seen any of them get called up because the youth program is non-existent right now. Where's the U23 camp? Where are the U20, U17 camps? Do we even have managers for the U20 or U17 team? Has Jason Christ been fired yet? These are all questions that I have for U.S. U.S. Soccer Federation that have not been answered.
0: Bring back Sunil Gulati for
1: a reason
0: <laughs> no I, I was thinking about this today and uh, it's it's not even frustrating at that point it's just it's sad because all of us as fans put so much of our effort and our love and passion into this game and the team and then to have the Federation with hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank we know what their spreadsheets look like we When we didn't make the World Cup, there were going to be wholesale changes. There was going to be a change at the top of the Federation. We were going to get a new coach. We were going to completely revamp the way that we thought about our youth team going from the 14-year-olds all the way to the senior team was going to play the same way. And what has happened in seven years? Look look how far we've come. It isn't very far. And that to me is just... there's. There's no excuse anymore. Like, why isn't Jace, Jason Christ fired? We didn't make the Olympics. We don't even Again. have friendlies for our youth teams. Yeah. We, we make our coaches live in Chicago. Like, not to quote Taylor Twellman, but what are we doing? Yeah, It's, it's seven years later. What are we doing?
1: Yeah, it's, it's bad. Like, honestly, the state of our development program is bad. We've essentially said, here, MLS, do it all for us. And we'll just call a couple of players up to the senior team here and there. And that's not acceptable. We need a DOS Rebuild system in, put in place to really revamp the Federation. And the Federation is just, I think, complacent is the best word for it. And complacency is not acceptable at the, when you have this level of talent in your system.
0: Yep. Yeah. And, and the reason why I say my conspiracy theory, I'm still very new to the whole landscape in the game but i I do have it on good account that at least one of the players that we talked about that wasn't called in to the gold cup was snubbed for the olympics because the coaches told them they didn't want to rock the boat and then that same player wasn't brought into the gold cup because there were other options available and i know from the other options available (laughs) and the known quantities that we have on the team that that's just not true And, and that to me like Sorry, I'm diving way deeper into the <laughs> hole. But um, yeah, I, I just, I need to see more. I need to see more from this because all of us care way too much to have another meltdown in World Cup qualifying. And, and especially with the team that we have now, we have to take advantage of all the talent yeah. that we have.
1: I agree. Yeah. All right,
0: so one last question for you. What, okay. what is this tournament about? What is the goal of this tournament?
1: I think the goal of this tournament has the player development first and foremost. I think we've got to find those last seven, eight guys that are going to fill out World Cup qualifying rosters. The World Cup qualifying is everything for me right now. We cannot fail to get to the World Cup again. That is the most important thing. And I'm not confident with our 23 yet. Greg shouldn't be confident with our 23 yet. So we need to figure out who's going to be going to every one of these games.
0: I completely agree. We, we're we not trying to win the Gold Cup, obviously, <laughs> from our our roster selection. Yeah, it'd be nice to get to the semifinal or the final. But
1: mm-hmm.
0: the World Cup is the absolute must. It is the absolute priority. And we we need to see more players on the field that Mm -hmm. I think we'll just leave it at that. That's my final thought. We need to see more of these players that will play a part in the world cup qualifying or, or else we might end up in the same spot we were in in Trinidad and Tobago.
1: Except for this time we'll be in San Jose Costa Rica.
0: Yes. With a much better team.
1: Yeah. So there is pressure to perform. And now And we've got to see the last couple guys step up. First World Cup qualifying window is brutal. Who's going to be playing? Because we know that we can't play Christian Pulisic 180 minutes in that tournament.
0: Yep. So so with that.
1: 270 minutes.
0: Yeah. Last words from you, Tom. What's kind of the last point that you want to make here?
1: I mean, I'm just sort of watching with a critical eye at this point. I am looking to see for formation changes. I'm looking to see Greg be tactically flexible. I'm looking for Greg to be positionally and, you know, rotationally flexible. And I'm looking for results, seeing if the kids have got it because right now there are so many unanswered questions from the Haiti game and we need to get some answers.
0: Yeah. Well said. I think for me, it's just, we are at the end of, the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. We need to see more experimenting. We need to see more flexibility Mm -hmm. and we need to go to the world cup confidently.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just got to make it there. I don't even, once we get there, all bets are off, but we just got to get there. That's all I want.
0: Absolutely. So guys, everyone watching. Wow. 24 live viewers. That's seriously amazing. We started this six weeks ago and we're we're six episodes in so we could not thank you enough for tuning in for all the questions honestly thank you so much and catch this episode on spotify apple itunes everywhere you get your your podcasts and it will be on the channel recorded as well so thanks so much and have a great night everyone later. this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently